podcast. What's that? <laughs> Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Hi, Shannon. Hi, honey. Hi. Uh, all right, people, here's the deal. Later on in this episode, we're going to be talking about labels that we have worn in the past. Yeah, this is based on a listener question from a little while back. Cool and listener question. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good discussion. Yeah, same. All right, people, advertising time. Misfit Stars is a listener-supported podcast. Who's the listeners? Well, it's you. If you're hearing the sound of my voice, it's you. There's two groups of you out there right now. First of all, there are people who are already supporting the work that Shannon and I do via this podcast. Uh, thank you. That's yeah. great. You're good. If you're listening to this and you're not in that group, you're in group two. You're That's, bad. You're no. bad. Yeah. <laughs> bad listener. Bad. <laughs> no. Getting a rolled up newspaper to swatting the listener on the no. nose. No, I'm not. We're glad you're here. We're so glad you're here. And look, here's the deal. This doesn't have to be a purely financial proposition. We totally understand that there are some people who listen to this podcast, even regularly and long-term, who are not in a financial position to be in support of it. Right. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Uh, Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. We deeply, in the core of our beings, understand financial instability yeah. and insecurity. Uh-huh. It's a semi-permanent future of our lives. It's all good. Uh, we love you. We're happy you're here. There is, however, a third group of people. It's people who are perfectly able to support this podcast mm-hmm. and who also listen to it regular- regularly, but who have not become supporters. Yes. Yet. And that's the thing. You know what I mean? It's not that you aren't going to. It's just that you haven't you done mean, it yet. You mean to. You've yeah. been meaning to. You have been meaning to. I understand this. There are so many things I've been meaning to do. I know. It's hard. Yeah. There's a pandemic. We're all very scattered, very yes. busy. It's it's hard. But you know what? If this is the nudge you need, then please take advantage of it. Hit pause on the podcast right now. Go to misfitstars.com slash join. It takes we'll, like, I don't know, 60 seconds to we'll, set up. We'll wait. Okay. Sitting are, you, are you back seconds. now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you back? Uh, thank you for having done that. I imagine that in that little ignoregnum, I'm having trouble Whoa. talking today. It's okay. I meant to say interregnum, oh. but I just got interregnum. <laughs> Sound like I've been drinking. I've not for 16 and a half years now. Woo. Woo. Uh, but yeah, maybe in that brief break, people, you did that. Thanks. Uh, but if you didn't, again, misfitstars.com slash join. You can help support the work that Shannon and I do in mm-hmm. the world. And it's you know, we're not professional podcasters. The podcast is not the thing that we do in our lives. It's just one of many things that we do in our lives. It's a way for us to share ideas with you. A lot of the other work we do has to do with community building and music and mentoring other people. Uh, we helped educate some seventh graders yesterday. There's all kinds of stuff that we do to try to make the world a better place. Yeah, really. It's kind of about, about introducing ideas uh, into this community and hopefully starting some meaningful discussions as we're all just on the journey of processing the world and figuring out how to be better more fulfilled humans in this yeah. experience we're sharing together. Right. <laughs> you know? If that feels meaningful to you, like something that you would like to see more of in the world and want to support, well, that's you we're talking to. Misfitstars.com slash join. Thanks. And in that same breath, I would like to thank the two new, <gasps> new Misfit stars, stars that signed up just in the last few days. We're so glad for you. Thank you and yes. grateful for you. One of them was an old childhood friend of yours. Super cool. Well, not childhood, but early or, adult. Early adulthood, yeah, which, yeah. Is, which given your advanced age is sort of like childhood. Okay, thanks, yeah. Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's that. Do you have any announcements, sweetheart? Announcements, announcements, announcements. Nice. I do. Good. I have uh, one announcement today. What is it? Uh, the one announcement I have today is that I am. I have opened up a love sh- a love song shop. Whoa. For Valentine's Day. Whoa. Now, like I, a little pop-up store. I understand that Valentine's Day is a potentially polarizing 
holiday. It's not even really a holiday. No. It's a day on the calendar. Yeah. I mean, that's what she'd call it. Polar, it's a Hallmark it's, holiday. It's a polarizing day on the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because like it's- Like Groundhog Day. It is- Also polarizing. Although people don't have, you know, social pressure to buy cards and gifts and candy for people on Groundhog Day. Right. They have to but, buy uh, like Groundhog Kibble. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to acknowledge, first of all, that I understand that that really Valentine's Day is- is pretty much a BS holiday. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get that. I get that. Has a lot of potential to suck. And also, and at the same time, I know that there are some people uh, who really love it. Your mom, really, my, for instance. It's my mom's favorite holiday. We talked about this last week on the and podcast. she's so sweet about it. She's wonderful about it. Yeah, she, she still will send us like a little box of chocolates and she, She's a the kind of person who makes Valentine's Day brighter for everyone who knows her. That's true. And it's so for, you know, the lesson she taught me growing up and because she would make it special for me and my sister every year was that it was not, uh, it was not necessarily a, a day for just celebrating romantic love between partners or couples. Right. That it was just an opportunity to shower love on people that she loves. And that's what she did. That's what, I love that's it. what she modeled. So, you know, like... Valentine's whether- Day is the friends we make along the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think that given that spirit, like, it's important for me to honor the people who experience Valentine's Day in that spirit as well. I personally benefited from somebody who loves... loves I personally benefit still from somebody who loves and appreciates Valentine's Day. Um, and, and I know that there are more of you out there who do. So my whole point in telling you mm. about this Valentine's Day thing is that oftentimes, you know, people who do exchange gifts uh, or who, who do want to do some expression of like love for a loved one, sometimes that can be really hard to figure out what to do. You know, like, I mean, I know when I go to buy like, you know, gifts at the holidays for people, sometimes I'm like, oh man, I want to get something meaningful. I don't want to get something that's just like useless crap. And I've known this person for 15 years and I've already run through all my good ideas. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Um, I did my genius gift three years ago and I've been screwed ever since. Yeah, yeah. Is this you? Yeah. (laughs) So, um, So I have, we've done dozens and dozens of personal songs for people over the last almost 10 years now. Over 80 of these now. I think actually the first time I ever put the word out that I was available to do personal songs was Valentine's Day exactly 10 years ago. 2011, that's right. So uh, it turns out nobody wanted to do it that year. So I felt like a huge failure. It's not. So this is not the 10 year anniversary of personal songs. It's it's a 10 year anniversary of the idea of personal songs. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) It's like the nine year anniversary of personal songs. (laughs) Someone, you know, the story goes, someone actually took me up on it like six months later and that was the first one I did. But, but here we are 10 years later. But we've done dozens and dozens since then, and I love doing these. I just delivered a personal song, uh, the latest one, to somebody last night and got to get the email back from them saying, wow, I love it so much. Always so rewarding. You're at a great, you've been on a roll. Thanks. For like the last five years. No, honestly. No, seriously. There, there was a point, I think like early on in personal song time, uh, I mean, they all came out great, but I think that you weren't quite sure what you were doing for people. Sometimes you try to write like peppy up tempo stuff. And sometimes it would be like a different kind of feel. But lately it's just all been super t- direct to the heart, really <laughs> meaningful. It, like everyone's a 10 out of 10 and has been for like five well, years. Well, I appreciate you yeah. saying that. Um, uh, but yeah, I had fun writing this one and, and they were really happy with the song and that always makes me happy. Um, in fact, it was really fun because uh, 
uh, I gave the song a title. I always, of course, give the song a title. Um, but one of the things that this person said to me was, I was hoping that this particular word would be in the title. And it was, you uh, know, amazing. just based on their writing about their relationship that they, you know, were doing the song about, like it was clearly a theme. So it it just naturally made its way into the title. Imagine if you never gave them titles and every <laughs> single personal song was like untitled study, colon, oh, number 82. What a drag. That would suck. <laughs> Give the gift anyway. of abstract songship this Valentine's Day. <laughs> totally. No so, verses, no choruses, no words, no discernible melody uh, from my heart to yours. Oh, gosh. No, people, that's not what that's it is. That's not what this is. Don't listen to it's me. Listen very, to Shannon. It's very specific and unique to each person's story. Um, it's just and, like Yoko Ono-esque warbling. Shannon and, just <laughs> thinks about the person in your life and she just uulates. No. <laughs> no. That's nothing like what this is. Any. The whole point of telling you about personal songs, <laughs> Jamie. Sorry. Uh, is that there are a few more days left if you want to do a personal song for a loved one for this Valentine's Day. Uh, I I have I have set sort of a, a deadline for taking deposits for projects that need to be done by February 14th. The last day you can put a deposit in to make that happen is this coming Sunday, mm. which is the... I can, not, I'll, I'll look I, on the calendar. I think it's the, the 9th. Well, I guess we okay. can know. Uh, so It's not even close, by the way. Oh, it's, what the, is it? it's the 7th. I'm sorry, it's the 7th. It's Wildly the, of off. Of course, it's the 7th. That gives me, you know, I, I have a couple that I'm working on now. Uh, in the initial stages, this will be... This will hopefully give me enough time to get everybody's done who wants to do them before Valentine's Day. Right. Uh, so send me an email. Here's the deal. Send me an email at skc at shannoncurtis.net. That's skc at shannoncurtis.net. Thank you. I will send you uh, the information about how it works, and I will send you the pricing uh, for the various options that we have available. Yes, we have options, options. available. Um, and you can decide if it's something that you want to do. So just if you're interested and you want to know more, send me that email. I'll send you the info. And if you want to move forward, you can make a deposit and we'll make an unforgettable gift for somebody that you love. It could be for a partner if you want, but it can be for a parent or a child or a friend or um, I, there's there's uh, somebody who is is talking to me right now about potentially uh, writing a song for a loved one who is deceased, right? As a as a memoriam, sort of a, a kind an of expression a, of their of their love for this person. It'll be a gift from from her to her, really. Yeah. It'll be for her for herself. Exactly. So there's yeah. like so many different ways, that shapes and forms this can take. Um, I am willing to go on that journey with you if you want to do it with me. So send me an email. We'll do it. And that's the end of my announcements. Okay, that was good. Good thank job you. with announcements. Uh-huh, thank you. So uh, how are you feeling today? Oh, um, I'm feeling, well, I'm feeling pretty good overall. Yeah. Uh, although I have also felt a little bit a little on edge. Uh, that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, maybe I should go second. Cause like, I, I just, I, I've, I've been a little bit uh, tiptoeing around. Around me. The house today. <laughs> yeah. It's my fault. But I, but I'm so, not, so, so let's talk about how I'm feeling. Okay. <laughs> Enough about you, Shannon. Let's talk about me. So I'm feeling non-specifically mad uh-huh. and there's no good reason for it. There's, I mean, there's, there's sort of a mediocre reason for it, which is that I had a lot of weird dreams and kind of slept oddly. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, not even sure. necessarily poorly, but like, I don't know. It was like the, it was like the eating at McDonald's of sleep. Like I got a lot of calories, but not much of it was good. Oh, okay. You know, uh-huh. like I got plenty of sleep, 
but I still feel just like tired and agitated. Aww. I clearly had bad dreams. I'm Aww. mad. I don't want to be doing the podcast. Aww. I just want to be working on music and I can't. And I woke up late and it's already like freaking five. It feels like it should be two. You know what I mean? It's just one of those days. Okay. I woke up like behind. Okay. It's like, there, it's like I'm a horse and there's a race and I woke up and the gun's already gone off and the other horses are like a quarter mile down the track. That's how I feel today. Okay. Like a behind And you're horse. mad about it. I am, yeah. And I'm taking yeah. it out. Uh, honestly, it's not even that I'm taking it out specifically on you. It's just that I'm mad and you're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! I won the lottery on yeah. that one. We've already yeah. talked about it. Yeah. You know, we're trying to see the humor in it. And, you know, I've already made a, a, an amends and yeah. you know, doing the best. We're doing the best we can. But, uh, you know, yeah. that's where I'm at. Totally. So with that as context and preamble, Shannon, how are you feeling? I'm feeling um, I, like... With just me, I'm good. I yeah. feel good. Uh, I I'm I'm enjoying the the projects I've been working on. I'm looking forward to some new stuff that's happening, and so all that's good. And so I feel good. But yeah, I've been a little bit like, yeah. When's the other shoe gonna drop today? Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. So, but 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 that's I think that's in the past. Okay, good. I think that, you know, honestly, well, talking about it, we've been talking about it and talking about it now is good. Yeah. You know, and... You know, that helps. Time helps. Yeah. Everything's good. I've Absolutely. woken up, you know, I'm kind of... Every minute I'm awake, I'm a minute further away from the terrible dreams I had last oh, night. Oh, that's so bad. It wasn't even like... I don't even remember what they were. Oftentimes when I have bad dreams, they'll stay with me and I'll be very heavy mm -hmm. about them. But it was just, I woke up with this sense that everything had gone wrong overnight. Oh. You know what I mean? Well, that's awful. I'm so sorry oh, you had that fine. experience. It's fine. I mean, tiniest of violins. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I'm, ha I'm healthy. I have an amazing partner. I'm in a warm house. I work from home. I'm safe. I'm sound. Everything's fine. Everything's right. objectively fine. Right. I just have my head up my ass. Okay. Well, you know, we all have those days. Yes. We do. And you're right. Saying it out loud, talking about it really helps a lot. You know, uh, this makes me think of, of, of how to introduce our next new feature on this podcast. Oh, which yeah. I think is also a, a good antidote to, to what you're experiencing this today. Uh, so I, last week, you might remember the title of our episode was Let's Fire Up, Fire Up the Good News Machine. Yeah. Right? And I was thinking about this this week, like, you know, there, there's good stuff happening all the time. Even when things feel stressful or uncertain, there's, there is good stuff happening. And so I thought it would be fun as a way of just like, a, you know, it's a good, it's, it's great to check in each week about how we're feeling. You know, we, we, you know, you do your, your daily gratitude list, mm -hmm. you know, with the group that you're with as sort of a practice of like where to focus our energy. I thought it'd be really fun to start this new feature on the podcast called Let's fire up the good news machine. Woohoo! And just each share Don't one. Don't have a song for it yet. There's no song yet. I'm sure some will, one, will, one will emerge. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, but the idea is that each of us will share one good, one piece of good news from the last week. And it can be anything from uh, like something that happened in the news news, like in the world or in that our personal, about, yeah. that we're happy about or something that happened in our personal lives, whatever it might be, uh, we'll share it. Also, I would love to get this started as a weekly feature in our Misfit Stars community mm -hmm. as well. People just to share, share their good news. Because um, I think that if we focus on that stuff, it makes us feel better. And it reminds us there's good stuff happening and we can celebrate these things with each other. Yes. So Jamie. Yes. Fire up the good news machine. What's something good that happened this week? Well, you and I yesterday uh, got to spend an hour or so talking with a classroom of seventh graders. That was so great. That was great. 
It was I re- loved it. I smiled the entire time because it was yes. just so sweet. <laughs> oh my gosh, so wonderful, so earnest. It was on Zoom yep. for, you know, well, yeah. my, clearly, yeah. but yeah. It was a seventh grade class, uh, Mr. Dana in McMinnville, Oregon, mm-hmm. invited us to come. They, they're doing, they've been doing a segment in his class for the past week or so on podcasts, on making podcasts. Yeah. First of all, what a great thing to do with a bunch of 12-year-olds. Totally. What a good teacher. How cool. And uh, he, you know, he got wind through a mutual friend mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, one of his students' moms is right. a friend of ours. Right. And uh, he got wind that way that there are people in his orbit who do a podcast mm-hmm. who then somehow, and I think in his kids' minds, it, it transmuted into us being famous podcasters. <laughs> you know how it is like when you're a kid, like if you're learning about a thing and there's an adult who does a thing who you don't know and a teacher's brought them in, they're famous. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So that was cool. I I had to immediately lower their expectations. (laughs) First of all, we're not famous. Second of all, fame isn't the point in anything in life. Right. Like I literally had that conversation with the kids. Like that's not what you should be aiming at. But it was a great experience. And some of the kids had really lovely questions. And it was fun. Yeah. Good news. I loved it. How about you, Shan? What's in your good news machine? My piece of good news from the good news machine is that my mom got her first COVID vaccination yesterday. Woo-hoo. And I knew it was coming for the last week or so she had the appointment. And so I was just so relieved when I, when I got the wind, got wind that she was going to be getting it. Um, and then, and so I talked with her last night on the phone and, you know, she told me about it and, and it was a very smooth process and all that kind of stuff. And as I was listening to her talk about it, I, I found my, like, I felt it like in my shoulders and my neck and in my heart, like this, re, like a bit of a relaxation or something. Mm. Like I've been so worried yeah. that she's going to get herself sick <laughs> for the last, you know, 10 months, 11 months. She's been really trying to be COVID safe, but there's a Delta between what she thinks is COVID safe and what is COVID safe. And that Delta that's is your my, anxiety. That's where my stress has come in. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I've over the last many months, I've tried to be a gentle reminder of what, safe protocols are, you know, but I have to- Like not riding to Tahoe in the car with your friend. That's just one example. (laughs) Exactly. But also it's a fine line because I I can be that gentle reminder and there's a fine line to crossing over into being just like ruthless nag, Mm. you know, and I don't want our relationship to be just me being a ruthless nag all the time. So I've had to figure out what, you know, (laughs) what the appropriate boundaries are around that conversation. Mm. None- that's all to say that the fact that she's being vaccinated just gives me, uh, like, I feel, I feel so happy about that. Yeah. You know, she's obviously she got to do she got to do her her second dose, and that'll come in like three or four weeks. Yeah. Um. And so, but she'll have some measure of of immunity building up right now in her system, and I'm just I'm so thrilled. So that's my good news. That's wonderful. That's great news, yeah, I would say. Really good news. Oh, right on. So uh, last week, what has our experience been this last week? Uh-huh. Uh, I already talked about delivering a personal song. That was really great. You actually delivered two personal songs this last week. You've been on a roll. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Sure. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, that was. they were both really fun to do. Yes, they yeah. were. And that was really great. Mm-hmm. And I had fun mixing them too. Uh, total side note, but for the audio nerds out there, we have reconfigured Shannon's microphone input to her recording machine in a way that makes it so much easier for me to work with Like That's once I get the recordings. And everything's just been sounding extra good. It's a real pleasure for Excellent. me. Excellent. Love it. I love it. So uh, good. What have you been up to? 
I, it's entirely possible per an email I got this morning from work I did late last night, I may have finished mixing the Chris Bathgate record. And I started this record like November 4th, mm-hmm. like the day after the election. Yep. I dove in. I had been putting it off since, you know, to do, to do election-related right. work. And I had let the label know, like, hey, this is what's happening. I am so sorry. And they were totally cool about it. They're like, no, it's important work. We get it. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we spent, then I spent the next three months working with Chris on, on this record, you know. And the process is, uh, you know, I would work on stuff here in my home studio, send him versions. He would send back notes. Yeah. Sometimes he would record new things at home and send, you know, wave files that I would right. drop into the session. Right. Uh, there were all different kinds of ways of doing things. Um, mm-hmm. But we really, like, we took a lot of time. We left no stone unturned with this thing. It sounds awesome. I it got to go awesome. on a drive with you yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, two days ago. Two days ago, listening to uh, the the most the, the most recent mixes, and it's a gorgeous record. I listeners, I can't wait to to let you know when it's out in the world, yeah. so you can hear it too. It's really just it's it feels like a. Um, the the album you've talked about this before in the podcast that it, that the the record itself is based around uh, a pump organ this like this vintage instrument and from this, the 19th century yeah like every song has this pump organ in it and uh, so as a result a lot of the songs are in the same key all but two uh, on the record and so and it's really odd to have an album worth of songs that are almost all in the same key. Yeah. There's just, that's really unusual. Uh, I have done another record like that in the last couple of years. That record, that soundtrack for that video game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I did a couple, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, that's right. All in D minor. But that makes sense because of the format. Yeah. Because they all have to go together. Yeah. But this one, you know, like it's a 10 song album and, you know, you'd think, well, would would that get kind of like boring to hear the songs, Mm -hmm. you know, all in the same key? And I mean, in some cases, it might be boring. Sure. In this case, the effect that it has for me is that it just feels kind of like uh, an uh, 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 an avenue to sort of like a meditative state. Yeah. You know, like it it allows you to kind of like get into a mood and stay in that mood. Yeah. And, and so your thoughts can go places where they don't. Yeah. You know, like you're not you're you're your sense of presence and your your thoughts in the moment wherever you are listening are not interrupted by change. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's a really cool experience. You're not jarred out of the experience too much. Yeah, it's really, really, it's a beautiful, you did such a great job. It's Thank a, you. It's really awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I'm and, really excited about it. Yeah, and you started working on your next mix project. I did. Mm-hmm. I have another, I have records stacked up. I Woo! have, uh, so I've started working on the new Zachman record, an EP, mm-hmm. like a six song EP. The last one we did was four songs. This was six songs, very excited. Yep. I'm one song into it so far and, it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have another one stacked up after that for Trusty Sea Creatures. I started working with this band from uh, Oakland over the past few mm-hmm. weeks called Forbidden Lover. I just have records stacking up right now, which is fun. How great. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. And they're all like just like remote produce and mix kind of projects, which is just a sweet spot. I love it. It's really awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing we did this week was we had our January uh, live acoustic concert on fun. YouTube and Facebook. It was really fun. I love doing it's a lot of work to get ready for these. Totally. Like it was and, and we we were sprinting to the finish. We were cramming dinner down our faces 10 minutes before we were supposed to be live. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I needed the calories, but also it was like jarring to be like running to the finish line like that. It was not smooth. But 
once we got into it, uh, it was so fun to do. And um, getting to interact with people's comments after the fact, we had a little bit of a snafu. Sorry for those of you who tuned in on YouTube. We're sort of newbies to YouTube still. And we had this echo for like the first 12 minutes on the YouTube yeah. feed. Sorry about that. But if you go to watch the replay, uh, it is the, the echo leaves at like 1130. <laughs> 11 also, minutes, 30 seconds. The echo in. sounds rad on the singing parts. It's just on the talking it's very hallucinatory. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. So anyway, uh, we'll be, you know, the, the, those monthly live concerts are brought to you by our Misfit Stars community. Misfitstars.com slash join if you want to help make these concerts happen. Thanks. Thank you to our Misfit Stars for making it happen and for joining us for those concerts. It was really, really fun. Um, and then, so I, I added this, this item to our what did we do this last week list. We watched a movie yeah. uh, several nights ago. Um, we were searching for indie films and yep. we landed on this movie called The Lobster, which yeah. is it from like 2014, 2016, I think is when it came yeah, out. Yeah, like maybe, maybe five-ish years old. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, who's the actor? I'm, Colin Farrell. Of course, Colin Farrell. I, I was blanking on his name. So the, the description looked really interesting. It was set in like near future uh, world where, um, where single people are taken to this hotel and they have 45 days to fall in love with somebody else at the hotel. And if they don't, they're turned into an animal. And they get to choose the animal. And they're, they have to live the rest of their lives as this animal. Yeah. And it is, it is a very surreal movie. Oh, my like, gosh. Like, just ab absurdist. Yeah. It's absurdist. Uh, and, 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 and so, like, there were so many, <laughs> so many scenes where you and I were like, what the, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> But I have to say, after watching it, and, th and, th and this movie has been on my mind yeah. for the last number of days, so yeah. it did its job. Like, it totally got me thinking. Um, I, I feel like, I feel like it's a, it's a must-watch Valentine's movie. <laughs> That's kind of true. <laughs> and here's why. Like, it really gets deep into ideas that we have just accepted in our culture, in our society, about... Uh, what singledom is and means yeah. and what couplehood means and is. The former generally being perceived as bad and the latter generally being perceived as the goal. Yeah. And it really turns, like it, it takes, it takes, here, here's my, my, my view of the movie without giving too much away because I don't, I, I really want you to go watch it. If you have yeah. the stomach for absurdist surrealism, um, really go watch the movie and like watch it on Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but like it really, it takes, it starts from the, the, the presumptions that we, that a lot of us have accepted about relationships and, and, uh, and being single versus coupled with somebody else, uh, that, that, that are just like, we don't even think about these things, you know, in our everyday lives. They're kind of foundational cultural assumptions. Right. Uh, and it, and it pushes them to their very, Illogical conclusions. Yeah. I mean, logical conclusions, but like it reveals how absurd our widely accepted views on these topics are. Yeah. Um, and it really challenges our thinking, I think, about, I challenged my thinking about uh, the purpose of relationships and right. the value of, of, people and how we how we assign value to people based on their their relationship status yeah really i mean really good stuff yeah it was it, i again highly weird highly thought-provoking and and also super entertaining too like sometimes it, kind of violent 
Yep. <laughs> so know that going into it as yeah. well, but all with a purpose. It's not like, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Lightly violent, I would say. Like, I don't, I wouldn't call that like a defining feature of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on the movie? No. Uh, other than to say, like, it's also it's it's also extremely entertaining. So don't feel like this oh, is yeah. medicine that we're asking you to take. Oh yeah, it's an amazing movie, and you will laugh out loud. But you'll also be like, "What on earth?" Yeah, it's really cool. Like it'll stretch your perceptions. Right. Rachel Weiss stars yep. in it as well, and she's amazing. Yeah, there, there's the great- John John C. Riley is in it. Oh my God, he was amazing. He was amazing. Yes, there, there's <laughs> the, the acting is phenomenal. Uh, it was I can't I just can't recommend it's it a, enough. It's a movie in which every single moment is imbued with deep weirdness, but all the characters are taking it so seriously and are and are just frustrated. Yeah. Like the the two pervasive feelings in the movie are loneliness and frustration, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful. Yeah. Like it's not a farcical movie at all. It's a serious oh, no. movie yeah. that's also a comedy. That's also social commentary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a surrealist movie, but it's not surrealist like Monty Python where everything is absurd. There's nothing absurd about this movie at all. Well, I mean, the, the whole premise is absurd. Well, yeah, but it's not, but, but it's not again, well, farcical, I guess maybe a better word yeah. to return to. Yeah. Like it's, it's treated, the material's treated seriously. It is. Yeah. yeah, really great. Well, I think that's actually a, a great place to to jump off into a break and come back to our our topic of the day because what we're talking about the other in the other half of this podcast is what labels have we worn in the past and why and why did we wear them and what did they mean to us? Yeah, uh, I honestly probably should have added to my list here. <laughs> being a partner <laughs> as uh-huh. a label, you know, like in, in, in talking about this movie, you know, uh, the ways in which we label ourselves in context of the relationships we have is an interesting thing to explore. And uh, I didn't have that on my list, but maybe I'll add it in the break. We'll see. All right, cool. Back <laughs> we'll, in a second. We'll see you soon. going to jump right into a listener question. And today's listener question comes from Misfit star Scott S. Hi, Scott. Hmm. And Scott asks, what a great question. He says, what labels have you worn in the past and why did you wear them? And what did they mean to you at the time? I love this question. Uh, before we go any further. Yes. Uh, Misfit star members. Misfit stars. Members. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you have listener questions, we want to hear them. Um, oh, yeah. And so uh, you can email either Jamie or me or message us on Facebook, whatever works for you. Uh, we may address your topic in a, an upcoming episode. I think yeah. Scott submitted this question like a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah, we've been keeping it. Yeah, and uh, so uh, so yes, this is a great question. I love this question. Mm-hmm. Um, it was It was kind of an interesting exercise to think about. Yeah, actually, like, I, it's it took me a minute to like really think. Like, like I imagine that there are a lot of labels that people have given me sure. over my life. Yeah. But what was interesting to me about this is the labels that I have given myself. The, that's the question that was most interesting to me. Yeah. Um, because I think that just as as we are as we are continuing to become the people that we are, you know, yeah. That that looking at these kinds of things and and sort of peeling away you know, the labels um, 
and some labels maybe we want we want to keep, you know, but like at least evaluating them, you know, like kind of going back to the the conversation about the movie, The Lobster, you know, like I, just evaluating what it is that I how I see myself in terms of like my relationship status. Sure. You know, uh, I think it's important to evaluate those things because I don't know, I just I, like there's so many things that so many labels I think in think in our lives that we just assume um, that or that 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 we take on without really ever choosing them. Yeah, they just are, and if they go unexamined, then maybe maybe the 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 ways in which we we label ourselves isn't even really consistent with with who we actually want to be. Totally, you know. So I think it was an interesting exercise to to think about this. Well, do you want to uh, start off with your first first one? Oh, sure, I can start. Okay, because um, it provides a lot of context, I think, sort of for the general conversation. Yeah, yeah. The the first label that came to mind, and this was not a hard one to come up with because this was a defining label of my entire childhood and early adulthood, um, and that was the label of of Christian. And most, and more specifically, as I was thinking about it just now, it was uh, American evangelical Christian. Right. That, you know, that, that specific subset, um, which, you know, at the time when I was, when I assumed that label and I lived in that label, I didn't really actually think of it in that, in those specific terms because that white, white American evangelical Christian was kind of the, the norm. At least I perceived it to be the norm. Yeah. In American Christianity or, or, or in worldwide Christianity. I thought it was the default. Right. Because we tend to do that about groups that we're in, yeah. And also we t- and it's easy to do that when the group uh, is high up on the the ladder of hierarchy, right. In a society, right. Right. Oh, was I mistaken? It is not mm. the default, you know. No. But but you know these these is what evaluating these labels does for us is allows us to to see how. Uh, how flawed they can be in terms yeah. of our perceptions of them. But yes, I, you know, for the very, for the first part of my life, I grew up in a church going family. We went to evangelical churches. Um, we went to churches that were predominantly white. I mean, I, I don't remember there being a person of color in the churches that I went to until I was probably in my twenties. Wow. You know? And, and even then uh, I was part of the, like the, the music department in the church and we, we lost our, our music pastor. And, uh, I was part of actually the search team to, to find a new music pastor for the mm-hmm. church. And we ended up hiring uh, a black man to be you know, the pastor, uh, the, the, the new music pastor. Mm-hmm. There were, there were families in our church who left the church because that black pastor was married to a white woman. No this, shit. And this was in like the year what it was it was the late nineties. Jeez. Yeah. So I mean like this eighteen nineties? <laughs> no, the nineteen nineties. What uh, the Yeah. So like, you know, it was that that's the environment I grew up in, and that was definitely the label that I wore. And I it was it's it is it was hard for me actually to come up with other labels. <laughs> Be- when we were brainstorming from, our list yeah, for this, yeah. Yes, because that label was so all-encompassing. Right. Um, it was, it, it, de- it, it defined every aspect of my life and it defined every uh, way in which I approached life. Like it, it was, it was the, the, the label of all labels, you know. So what were some of the sub things that it defined? Yeah, so specifically, you know, I, I, when I think about it, it was definitely, it made me part of a, a group identity, a, a group identity, you know, mm-hmm. like there, this was, we were the Christians. It was us. And yeah. there was definitely a them, right. <laughs> you 
you know, uh, th- that was that was definitely a part of the mentality. It was I was in the in group of this, you know, this group of people, and also more more specifically, my family. Like, I mean, everybody in my family identified with this label as well. So I just really didn't even know anybody close to me who. Uh, or that I was related to that didn't also identify this way. So this is just who I was. Like it was, I was born into it and that's who I was and, and gone unexamined. That's who I would continue to be today. You know, like it was just, it was something that was so, um, so, in, so important to just, just, you know, my sense of belonging. Yeah. In my family and in the, in the larger sort of like social group or tribe that, mm-hmm. that, you know, that, 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 label defined um it certainly you know uh uh sort of covered all of my like my religious views or views on spirituality mm-hmm. you know um which you know for that for that subgroup uh defined sort of like what the purpose of life is and what the afterlife looks like and you know all the all the machinations of how uh, you know, human beings work and, and that we are in need of forgiveness and that, you know, we need, or salvation to make it into eternal. Like, I, that was just like like the defining... It's kind of a wraparound end-to-end solution. It really is. Yeah, so so that, that was there was that part of it. But also, it, you know, aside from the spirituality part of it, it defined everything about um, whatever political stances I developed as a young, a young person and a young adult. Yeah, of course. Um, because... I, because this is just who I was. It was th- this, this, I didn't even think of it as a label at the time. It was just an identity that I fully accepted without question. And therefore, if this was who I was and the leaders in this group told me that this is how we believe about politics, you know, like I can't believe that like I actually thought that the death penalty was justifiable by scripture. <laughs> At one time, you know, like that just, it, it astounds me now. But like, you know, this is every political view that I held as a young person uh, and a young adult um, was defined by this label also. So my political labels fit under this umbrella, right. you know. Um, it, honestly, it was really sort of some of the, the uh, political and social thinking that when my when when I started to evaluate how I really felt about some of these things and it rubbed up against what the label was telling me, yeah. had been telling me to think about these things, that, that that sort of conflict is what sort of was the seed for me to really evaluate the whole label, yeah. <laughs> you know, in its entirety and whether it, it really did apply to me. Right. Um, pretty weird yeah. how as soon as your frontal lobe was developed, that process started pretty much immediately. <laughs> it's true. As soon it as was... the judgment part came into play, you're like, well, hold on. <laughs> right in my mid-20s. You're right. It's so interesting. But yeah, you know, this label was really sort of kind of like an all-encompassing life purpose. You know, you were asking me as we were brainstorming, well, how about, you know, like being an athlete or how about being when you were a kid? I'm like, Shannon was a championship swimmer, you guys. Did you know that? I won gold medals in my citywide meets. No big deal. And it was something I did, but it was not, it was not who I was. I did not think of myself as uh, identifying as an athlete or yeah. identifying with those activities. Those are just things I did. Who I was, if you were to ask me then, would have been, I'm a Christian. Yeah. That's, and it defined everything else about me. I'm not a swimmer. I'm a Christian who swims. <laughs> that, no, that, that, that sounds funny, but like that's actually, I think, how I thought about it. Like that, it was that first and everything else was just secondary or maybe even meaningless. Yeah, right. <laughs> Honestly, you know what I mean? Um, What's interesting to me, though, 
uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up this one label so we can get to your, your first I'm labels. in no rush. That's fine. But, but I want to say that, you know, there, there did come, come a time when I was about 30 that I, that I got to the point eventually where I wanted to reject that label entirely yeah, for right. myself. And, um, and so in doing so, I, the, the, the logical thing that it seemed like the logical thing to do would be for to just let that pendulum swing all the way to the other side and, you know, and be the opposite of what I had been, you know. So like what, an atheist? Yeah, I'm done with all of it. No, no, no God, no spirituality, no nothing, no, you know, yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm just here. I'm a, I'm a sack of, of, of cells. Yeah, hurtling <laughs> you know? through space. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you know, and, and it turns out that that label doesn't suit me either. Right. Um, and, and maybe it turns out that there, that there's not really a label that suits me at all when it comes to describing this part of my life, yeah. you know, and, and, and maybe I'm becoming more comfortable with that, that notion of just sort of living a bit more in the mystery of the universe and, and, and enjoying and embracing that rather than assigning myself a place on the spectrum. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and so yeah, I, and, and and I don't think I have a label anymore on that front. I I'm not sure what it would be, what you would call it, a mystery lover, a seeker. Uh, I'm not sure what you would what you would say. Hashtag on the path. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but yeah, that's my biggie. There are others to come, but let's let's go let's go to some of yours. Sure. So I took a different approach than you in that I just tried to go. Uh, from the beginning of my life until the end. Okay, great. Well, I mean, not the end. <laughs> <laughs> the distinct, Don't be alarmed, people. The distinct midpoint yes, where of I your am, life. Where I am now. now. Yeah. I went chronologically up to the point I'm currently at. <laughs> Let's rephrase that. Got it. Um, and it's really interesting because, so, like, when you first start off thinking about, like, the labels you had, most of the first labels that you have in your life were given to you by other people. Oh, yeah. And the Christian, that counts for you, too. Yeah. You didn't think that up on your own, you know? Like, you're, someone right. told you, this is what you are, yeah. you know? Uh, and for me, the first label I can really recall ever having uh, uh, was, like, that people outside of my family knew, I guess, would be a, a line to draw, uh, was that I was a musician. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, it's the first thing that I ever was kind of, like, known for. Ah. Even at a very young age, yeah. you know what I mean? Because I was kind of a prodigy and I was good at it from the jump and I started taking lessons when I was five. Right. You know, so by the time I was, like, seven, it was like, hey, he's, he's really a piano player, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because it wasn't that I was a musician. It's that oh, he was, I was a piano player. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't an artistic label. It was more of a craft person label. Sure. You know what I mean? That yeah. distinction, like, it's not that I was good at music overall. I don't think that's, that's how I perceived that label that I wore. Mm-hmm. It's that I was a technician. You were talented. Yes. I was talented. I was uh-huh. skilled. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was, I was, I was both talented and skilled. Uh, when you learn piano as a kid, and oftentimes when you practice it, if you continue with classical music through your adult life, uh, you are only ever an interpreter, right? Right. Because uh, you're not creating something new. You're, no, you're playing works from the canon, the classical music canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, you know, like the way I was raised, like that cannon cut off pretty abruptly in the very early 20th century. Like, <laughs> seriously, we maybe got into the 20s. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe up into some, some of the more like impressionistic French and Russian people. But after that, it was just modern crap. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which is obviously not true. People have been writing good modern classical works. Yeah. You know, I mean, decreasingly, I think that's true. Can you I know? just ask, it's like a little aside here. Yeah. The word classical to me doesn't that doesn't the word classical denote old like the classics? Yeah. So so it kind of made sense to me. New classical music. Yeah. I mean, is this just like a new definition for the word classical that we've adopted just to refer to music that is played by instruments that were traditionally used in playing classical music? Like yeah, you know maybe. what I mean? Like. There, I mean, I think we can all like listen to some music and be like, that is classical music or that isn't classical music. You know, there's some stuff that blurs lines and there's some stuff that's more avant-garde that like the yeah. composers would say it's classical and I would be like, I think that's more like new age or I think that's more like, right. you know, avant-garde. Like, right. you know, Philip Glass, John Cage, stuff like that of the very modern stuff, you know? Like I think some of that gets thought of as classical and uh, do I strange, agree? Also, a, does it matter if I agree? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a strange label though. I'm just yeah. like, as we're talking about labels, you know, You're like totally how, right. do you, how, do, how do you make a new <laughs> classical piece? It's, it's, <laughs> one of those, it's one of those things, I think, where like the word got contextualized meaning one thing. Yes. And then it just kind of morphed in its definition and yeah. came to describe not a time period. Yeah. But like the style that was popular in that time period. Yep. And then now it's just a stylistic label, which can be applied to any time. I period. get it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Sorry to inter interrupt. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I like it. So yeah, that was kind of the first one for me, which is interesting because uh, you know through all the journeys they went on in my life, mm -hmm. uh, it's one I still embrace. Really? You know, of musician. Oh yes. I am. Uh, a, I am a musician. You know? But not a classical musician. No, I am not. Uh, and not and, and a piano player really either. No, I mean, I mean yeah. a huge part of my journey, a huge part of what for me was key in unlocking my full potential as a musician mm -hmm. was unlearning a whole lot of the stuff or purposefully forgetting or letting go fallow mm -hmm. a lot of the techniques and talents and skills mm -hmm. I had picked up in the very first formative part of my musical education. Mm -hmm. You know, like finger muscle memory is a real thing. You know? Yeah. And I had to spend a whole lot of time training my fingers out of and letting my fingers unlearn all the stuff that had been pushed into them when I was a kid. Interesting. You know, in mm -hmm. order to let different kinds of music express themselves through me. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was an intentional process that I went through. Like, I knew at a certain point, kind of in my mid-teens, that I no longer wanted to pursue classical music, and I got up the guts to actually do something about that when I was like 17. And mm -hmm. I just, and it coincided with me being shipped off to prep school for my senior year, so I had, didn't have access to my teacher, mm -hmm. and uh, I just kind of like I. I sort of pretended at doing lessons for the first month at prep school. And I just kind of like, it was like, no, I'm not doing this. Uh -huh. um, but I immediately like got myself, I found access to a small room of synthesizers and drum <gasps> machines. It was like, it was the electronic music lab at Hotchkiss. No joke, it was a closet. <laughs> it was a like, I don't know, eight foot by eight foot closet with like built-in table shelves, like like workbench, like science-y, like the kind of thing, the kind of like, built-in table thing that you would like solder something on. You know yeah. what I mean? That kind of height. Uh -huh. um, and then like a shelf above on either side and on every available surface, there was some piece of 
of mid-grade electronic music gear. You it know? was a closet that contained the entire universe. Oh my gosh, it so <laughs> did for me. Yeah. And I spent kind of most of my free time in there mm-hmm. just like, you know, arranging things and doing and teaching myself drum programming mm-hmm. and like all this stuff that I hadn't had access to before. So did your label, was your label changing then? Or had you cast off the label at that point? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, I wanted there, I think I felt a real need in my life for the label to be something cooler, you know? Because mm. like when you're like 15 years old, be like, yeah, I'm a classical piano player. It's extremely not cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe it's cool for a certain kind of person. It was not cool feeling for me at mm. all. Because that's just not the kind of music I listened to or enjoyed. Mm. I have never in my life put on classical music for enjoyment to this day. Right. You know, like put on classical music. I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know? <laughs> Seriously, like, are we really going to listen to this? Like, is that what we're doing? Do I have to be quiet? Can I read something, you know? Uh, I do really enjoy uh, hearing classical music in person, uh-huh. oddly. Uh, but recordings of it hold absolutely zero of the magic for me. Yeah. 100% of the magic in classical music for me is in its live performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the documentation of it, I'm just like, uh, whatever. Right. Um, so, yeah, uh, I did have labels that were more important to me then. Um, should I get to them now? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it's weird. I'm kind of going asynchronously here, but just as far as like my music journey went. Mm. But it, well, I, I can't go asynchronously because they all inform one another. That's fine, go so for it. So the first one I had was musician. That's when I was like a really little kid, you know? And uh. that's like the first publicly facing one. But I had one that I knew from even when I was younger, two, three, four years old, which was mm. that I was very, very smart. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I was kind of super smart right out the gate apparently and uh and and really advanced in in just like school things you know multiplication tables at age three that kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. I could read at age two uh Mm -hmm. you know I was just I was advanced verbally and cognitively um it's just a weird developmental thing you know I don't think that I'm particularly smarter than the average bear now necessarily Mm -hmm. but I was certainly advanced when I was a little person you know and so I I was told that constantly. And, and, and that was a value of people around you yes. too, that it was reinforced for sure. you. Yeah. It's like having a talking dog. Like, look at my son. He can he can speak in complete sentences and read and write. And, yeah. he's, and he's two, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I was trotted out to the amusement of adults constantly, you mm-hmm. know? Uh, and I understand my parents being proud. That's great. And I understand them all. Like, who wouldn't want to have a precocious kid because it implies great things for their future, mm-hmm. right? Isn't that the, the ultimate apex hope for a parent that that their kid be a world-changing kid. Everyone wants to have the kid that, like, changes the course of human history for the better, you know? <laughs> I think really... No that pressure. What, <laughs> I think really what parents should probably actually want is just for their person to be happy, but, yeah. like, you know. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, that was a label that I was aware of when I was a little tiny person, and then very quickly, as mm. soon as I started doing school, so, like, age six and onwards, I, I was a know-it-all. Mm. And that was a label that other kids applied to me, uh-huh. you know, because most well, kids weren't as smart as I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, when you're six, seven, like you don't understand that maybe it's a little socially off-putting to constantly be demonstrating how much smarter you are than everyone around you, <laughs> you know? And so, you know. Were you child explaining all the time? Probably. <laughs> you know, I just knew a lot of stuff. And the little dummies around me didn't, you know? And so, That's you know, so someone had to step into that gap and it was me. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I was, an, I was a know-it-all uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And that didn't feel, it, it's weird. I felt a lot of dissonance around that because on the mm-hmm. one hand, I, I understood that it was being used pejoratively, that mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. you know, at, it was being used at me and against me. But also I was legitimately 
proud of the fact that I was super smart. Well, it's so interesting because I think that if you look at this through the lens of, and this is true for my labels too, like when we, we look at our labels through the lens of how is this making me feel like a valuable person, mm. this label, then you can kind of see like which, how, which one, the ones that stick, you can see why they stick and the ones that don't, you, you know, like, like, you know, clearly it was a, it was making you feel a, a, like a valuable person to have that label, you know, in your, by your parents and your family asserting that you were just the smartest of all the kids, yeah. you know, and that wasn't working so well with the school kids, the schoolmates, but still it was very, very important for you yeah. to feel like you were valued as a very smart person at home. It was, ve- yeah, you know? totally. And in my relationships too, like yeah. it was a huge part of my identity for a really long right. time was mm-hmm. being the smart person, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I also understood that it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't leading me to a fulfilling life full of lots of uh, like little elementary school friendships. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I struggled. Like we lived mm. on a dirt road kind of remotely. Like I, I didn't have any neighbors my age. I didn't really have any neighbors. You know what I mean? My mm-hmm. grandma lived across a field from us. Uh, the nearest, next nearest neighbor was an eighth of a mile down the road. And they were just not compatible age groups at all. Their kids were like 15 years older. So making know? friends was just generally it difficult. Was, it was hard. Yeah, totally. Because I like I didn't have like, I couldn't just like go out and play in the neighborhood. I couldn't like run over to someone's house. I didn't right. have any of those kind of childhood experiences. Yeah. If I went somewhere, I had to be driven by my mom who was not super into it. Uh, my mom was also like super judgy of like every person who wasn't me. Like a lot of this came from her too. You mm-hmm. know, I, I really received the message as a little person from my mom that you are the smartest person. Everyone else is dumb. And so hmm. I don't necessarily even want to drive you over to their house because they're just going to dumb you down. <laughs> you know? Oh no. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was very yeah. it was snobbish. Oh yeah. Uh, you know? And it was not super egalitarian. It wasn't a point of view like, well, you know, people are different. We can all learn from one another. Right. You know, right. which I embrace now fully. Well, and and it just, I think that the thing that you missed out on because of that was um, connection with people, yes. with people your age, you know, like, yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah. And when you, when you are set apart and mm-hmm. given this label that you are a set apart kind of person, yeah. one of the functional outcomes of that is that it makes con- like genuine connection more difficult. And that's exactly the defining characteristic of most of my childhood through my teenage years. Yeah. As I started from that remote place, yeah. my defining struggle was starting being set apart and then trying to reintegrate myself, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next succession of labels I have here are just different things that I tried to do to like find community, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. Uh, the first one was a little leaguer, uh-huh. you know? Uh, I... I was a huge fan of baseball from, you know, the moment I was cognizant of what baseball was. You know, my dad has been obsessed with it for his entire life. He passed that on to me. Um, And so, you know, starting when I was nine years old, you can do Little League when you're nine, 10, 11, and 12 years Mm -hmm. old. Uh, And, you know, I I tried out four and got on a team. Uh, I don't know if I should have. I was bad. Uh, (laughs) I was afraid of the ball for my first two years. Like when I was nine and 10, like I literally didn't get one hit. Aww. I did not get one hit. Aww. Like, I don't think even when, the, like, my nine-year-old year, I, like, made contact with the ball. I would, like, strike out either watching it go by or, like, closing my eyes and stepping back and swinging. Aww. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then something changed when I was 11. I'm not sure what it was. It wasn't any kind of physical maturity. That didn't happen for me until really, like, I was cognitively early and I was physically late. Yeah. Like, I don't think I got my first pubic hair until I was, like, 13. You deadly, know what I mean? Deadly combination. Oh, my yeah. God. Mm-hmm. Um 
Like my voice dropped. My, my voice was an octave higher than most of my friends, like at that critical age. It was, yeah. it was terrible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I, you, something changed for me in terms of my like relationship to the, that game and my fear around it when I was 11. All of a sudden I got really good at it. Mm. And all of a sudden, like my 11 and 12 year old years, I was an all-star. Ah. My, tw- my last year at Little League, like I pitched our team, like the all-star team, the mm-hmm. way it worked, works with Little League is like you have like your little local teams. Like I was on the Yankees and <laughs> there were other ones, you know, yeah. Mets and Red Sox and whatever. There were like six of them. Yeah. And, uh, then you have your all-star team and the all-star team plays other all-star teams yeah. from other towns and that's what goes to the Little League World Series, yeah. Yeah. right? It's, it's the all-star teams. Yeah. Uh, and I pitched our all-star team to the Tri-State Championships. Wow. You know, which it was like Vermont, New Hampshire, and I think Maine were the three states. So it's, All right. Makes sense. Yeah, totally. Like we lost that championship game, but like- I got us that far. Like I was, I was super good. I hit home runs, like wow. over the fence, even not just like speeding it out because you uh-huh. hit it into a weird corner. Um, so you wore that little leaguer label with pride. It was something that I was good at that wasn't piano, you know. And yeah. I was proud to be good at something athletic because I perceived that being good at athletic stuff was cool, way cooler than the outsidery way that I felt around like being like a nerdy academic know-it-all type who also was really good at oh yeah, wow, classical piano, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Step up, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Form a line to the right. I uh, noticed when you were making your list, I was watching you make it, that it seemed like this series that starts with Little Eager and, and you're going to continue yeah. were, were a lot of like trying on this and trying yeah. on that and trying on that. To yeah, see absolutely. What else might work? I carried, uh, you know, the, I, ca- I carried through all of this the label of nerd, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, and I remain a nerd. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, plainly evident to anyone who has ever listened to this podcast. I'm nerdy. That's okay. <laughs> yes. You know? Uh, but it's, you know, I, tr- I, I was aware of the idea that like being a know-it-all, like correcting people all the time was, was n- I wasn't getting the social rewards I was looking for for that, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I worked on that, you know? And then I was just kind of a nerd, but I was, I was more okay with being a nerd because like there's sort of an honor in that, you mm-hmm. know? I think yeah. there still is. Sure. Um, I, as soon as I was able, started being a theater geek. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. that's a really natural place for someone who's very bright and very nerdy to get involved. Yeah. Um, and, and it's a very labely label. Like, like you're in that group mm-hmm. when you're in that group. Totally. Yeah. And it's a wonderful, very versatile label because for people on the outside, they use it as an insult. But for people on the inside, it's a source of pride. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Like you can't hurt me by calling me that because I call myself that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> totally. And uh, that was a really, that was the first inklings for me of a healthy Mm. uh, sort of identity around that kind of thing. Mm. Also, right around the same time, I got, I I started my first little band. Mm -hmm. It was just me and three high school, Mm -hmm. not even high school at the time, uh, junior high friends. We started when we were like 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we did that all through like 12, 13, 14, maybe even 15, for about four solid years. And we just learned, we learned like, I don't know, 50 or so oldies, like 50s and early 60s kind of flavor uh-huh. oldies, you know, just dad music. And uh, we would play it like at dances and stuff like that. <laughs> awesome. But, uh, and that was a really like liminal experience for me because like the idea of being in a band was really, really cool. That's what I want to be. I want to be a rock star. Yeah. You know, I didn't have that language for it at the time. But what I was actually doing was playing like really like, like Earth Angel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like really not super <laughs> cool at all. Already 30 years old at the time. Yeah. Music. Yeah. You know, uh, 
it, so that wasn't super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of it was cool and I felt cool when I was doing it. Mm. I didn't feel as cool when I was doing it in public. Like, and I never really wanted to invite people to come like down to the friend's basement. We rehearsed in my friend Aaron's basement. Mm-hmm. I never really invited people over to watch it because I thought that I kind of had this perception that they would think it was sort of lame, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, at the, uh, and, and by the way, I use an 80s word to describe an 80s feeling, but I should not have used lame because it's ableist. Thank you for that. Right? Um, but I, it would have been, I've, I've sort of felt like people might think it was kind of uncool because we're just playing all these dumb, like, you know, 50 songs. Yeah. You know, so there's yeah. that. Um, I got the first taste for me of like what a label was that I could feel cool about wearing when I mm. learned how to drink alcohol. Mm. And that was the first one. I had my first drink like right after I turned 15. It must have been like November of uh, 1987. Uh and, you know, the first time I ever got drunk, I got super freaking wasted. It's not like I was sipping a beer one time. Mm-hmm. It's like I went, like, my friend Alexi and I, like, we had a scheme because he hadn't drunk uh, ever either. Uh-huh. And we both knew that that's a place that we wanted to be. Like, that's a room that we wanted to get into somehow. Uh-huh. Uh, and so and we schemed on it for, like, a couple of months trying to figure out how we could get to a party, like a, uh-huh. a, like a high school party, <laughs> like where they had, we were already in high school, you know what I mean? But, like, <laughs> the kind of party where they had, like, yeah. Beer and stuff. Yeah. You know, like we were sophomores already. Like, yeah. But still, it took some figuring out. But we figured it out. Uh, and the first time we ever went to a party, uh, I still remember it vividly. Like, and, we, and we got super, super drunk. Like, this seems like the beginning of the movie, Super Bad. Yes. Got to figure out how to get to a party. Yes. It was precisely <laughs> that. That's why I loved Super Bad so much. I related to it deeply, you know? Yeah. It was exactly the same dynamic, too. Like, if we can figure out how to do this, we'll be cool. Then we'll be cool. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't cool. I think Alexi was kind of cool. I always thought it was cool. I, I didn't feel cool at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. So what's the label that, that you. Partier. Partier. Yeah. You know, I, I became a partier. Because that was that's, that's a thing. That's what I am Are now. They, does she party? Is she a partier? You know what I mean? Right. That's a label. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I partied. Yeah. Then. I was not a partier. No, you were not a partier. <laughs> um, Shannon's only ever been drunk two times, you guys. Like one and a half. Well, yeah. I mean, really drunk. Yeah. Like genuinely drunk. Yeah. You've had a little buzz. A couple of other times. Sure. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Anyway. So, uh, you know, and that really helped draw me a lot closer to a whole lot of my peers. And that was a thing that really worked for me because I had felt like an outsider with all the other things I'd done. I'd been, you know, doing music, but not in a cool way. Doing music in a different way. Also not super cool feeling, Mm -hmm. you know. The the feeling of playing, it was cool, but the the outcomes weren't cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Theater geek, not super cool. Uh, You know, know know-it-all, not cool. Little leaguer, not cool. Nerd, not cool. Partier. Mm -hmm. Cool. All of a sudden, very cool. I, it doesn't escape my attention, though, that that label led to uh, many, many years later the label of alcoholic. Yes, seriously. <laughs> but the reason that I took to drinking so hardcore yeah. and then immediately after that, drugs and all the other stuff, is that mm-hmm. the more of that stuff I did, the cooler people seemed to think I was. Like I was getting, I, I, I was moving from mm. that satellite orbit place that I had been, that, what'd you call it, that out there place, that mm-hmm. set apart place. Mm-hmm. It drew me from that set apart place to an integrated place. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily in any kind of a healthy way, but it was integrated. I felt like I had peers for the first time in my life. I felt like I had respect of people who didn't know me very much. Right. Like I had a reputation finally you that had, I liked. You had belonging. Mm-hmm. You had value. Yep. It's really interesting to me as that was emerging in our conversations here, both from my labels and your labels, that like the driving force for accepting and wearing labels, it seems to be... The things that that make us feel like we're valuable yes. and they give us a sense of belonging. Yes. 
And honestly, that one for me, that that that's the hinge one, partier. When I went from non-partier to partier, mm. my entire life changed. And everything mm. from there on in was just derivatives of trying to find a more specific in-group or be yeah. cool, or be cooler or try to t- convince other people I was cooler or feel cooler about yeah. myself. Yeah, and it's so interesting because like on, on the face of it, feeling valued and feeling like you belong, those are good things. Yes. But as we're exploring here, the ways in which, the labels in which we adopt to, to, to achieve those things can sometimes be personas or identities that aren't good or healthy. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> right? And I think really frequently, you know, yeah. because so often people, people will give you positive feedback for something that's objectively negative behavior Ugh. because it fills a need inside of them. Yeah. It fills their hole. We're all so screwed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Seriously. <laughs> Yeah. We're all so screwed up and continually screwing up everybody else around us. Yeah. Because of our own unaddressed needs. It's all bad. <laughs> we're doomed. We're we, doomed. We are doomed as a species. We're, we're seeing that living out in real time. So nothing surprises me about this, yeah. but it's good to explore it. Oh my God. We should jump over to your next category. Oh, okay, great. So, um, cause I think it kind of ties sure, in. Sure. Yeah. My next like overarching category of label, this, as I was brainstorming, just came back to me over and over, but it was the, the label of good girl. Yeah. And that just encompassed lots of, of areas of my life. And it's, and it's not just from childhood or young adulthood. I think this has, you know, been true into my later adult years too. Like I think that I, I have, I gravitate toward the label of good girl. And there are reasons for it. Like, I mean, well, and there are manifestations of it. When I was a kid, it was, I was a good student, you know. I was also very smart. Yep. Uh, but it wasn't that I was given accolades for being smart like you were. Mm. It was more, um, well, that's what you should be doing is getting good grades. Sure. And so I was being good yeah. by being a good student, sure. if that makes sense. That dynamic was at play in my yeah. life too. Okay. It, like there was absolutely zero margin in my life for getting anything other than straight A's. Right. It was unacceptable. Yeah, I just felt like it was It was. It tied into my people pleasing, which is a set, another, another aspect of this good girl label. Sure. Um, you know, that, and again, it goes back to the idea that I felt like I was, uh, I felt like I was, valued as a person mm-hmm. when people were pleased with me. Yeah. And so I focused a lot of energy on being a people pleaser. Right. And that included getting the good grades, but that also included just being well-behaved and, of course, never being a partier. I was not a partier. No, you were not. <laughs> also, that I imagine been... you probably looked down at partiers. Oh, absolutely. Because my in-group of being sort of like the, the religious Christian girl was, that was, it was, would not have been allowed, you know? No. So... Anyway, and I didn't have even a desire to be a partier. No. That was not on my radar at all. <laughs> Still isn't. It's not, and for different reasons now. Like now I'm just like, I like being sober. So, yeah. yay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, then it was, you know, it was more about like, I'm in this group and that's that group and I don't want to be part yeah. of that group. This right? is not what my group does. Yeah, also being a, pe- a peacemaker, you know, um, in in any like conflict situa- situation or when there was like any turmoil in my my household, you know, I was I, I felt like my role was to just not rock the boat and to try to make everything okay for everybody else, you know. And I I I learned, you know, when we talk about how like some labels like this good girl label, you know, which made me feel valued and and it made me feel like I belonged, you know, in lots of different arenas in my life. Um, it, it turns out it was sort of like a, a root of my codependency, which is a very unhealthy behavior for me, you know, and 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 that I, I learned as I explored that 
character trait in me that the people pleasing was really just a way for me to manipulate folks into giving me the good, the feel good feelings that I felt like I belonged and I was valued, (laughs) you know? Um, and it it was sort of like feeding that addiction to approval and affection, you know? Um, but yeah, good girl. And, and, you know, I feel like I've, I've been, I've been, I have been trying to, or experimenting with shedding more of that good girl label, even in recent years in my life. Like, what comes to mind is uh, uh, I made a post right before the inauguration about this magazine that we had had uh, in our living room for the last four years. Yeah. Uh, An Adbusters magazine, which is an art magazine, and it was a photo on the cover of a middle finger, um, uh, someone putting a middle finger up to the White House. Yeah. And I, I made a post about that on, a, on Facebook about how this image really helped me tap into um, the feelings of anger that I had yeah. that this person was occupying the White House for the last four years. And also that, that feeling angry has always felt like feeling angry is not an emotion that a good girl gets to have. That's not a safe emotion for it's you. It's not a safe emotion. It's not something that's accepted by, mm-hmm. you know, by someone who wears the good girl label. Right. Um, and so like allowing not, myself- not like not becoming of a lady kind of. Right, yeah. yeah. And and so, you know, for me, I, 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 I find that I still have to work at fighting against that good girl, good girl label, yeah. you know? Um, and but not for the sake of just rejecting it, just for the sake of rejecting it, but for the sake of allowing myself to experience my own full humanity. Right, totally. You know, um, and and not and not keeping undercover the parts of me that don't fit the good girl label. There's still me. I'm still having these feelings. I'm still experiencing this. I need to allow, I, I get to allow myself to have those full experiences, even if they they don't comport with the good girl. I feel you on that a lot. I was raised with some kind of, pretty Victorian feelings, social mores, Mm. kind of generally in my lightly extended Mm -hmm. family, particularly from my mom's side. Uh, My mom's family was like a DC family in the 30s. Uh, like I had a great uncle who advised presidents, you know, it was that, yeah. it was that kind of like DC high Blue society kind yeah, of thing. completely, yeah. you know, and there are ways you act and ways you don't act. And like, you should always act the way you would act in public, uh-huh. you know, and you should never act in an unbecoming way, including around the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you were always on display was kind of the feeling, mm-hmm. you know, like you were always expected to act like, like a little adult, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Yeah which is just such a weird way to treat kids. But it was all I knew when I was a kid, sure. you know? So I relate to that part of what you're talking about a yeah. whole lot. Yeah, Well, I mean, this is not just from from my my childhood again. This is, you know, adulthood as well. Yeah. I'm still dealing with that. And I think that my next item sort of ties into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we'll jump back to you. But okay. like the next item on my list, the next label was the label of singer or entertainer. Yeah. And here's where that's, this relates to me. Because being a singer or an entertainer is a a label in which uh, the function of me singing or making music is for the benefit of somebody else's entertainment. Right. It's just a form of people pleasing. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and what I've learned as I've, as I've examined that label over the last many years is that I'm, I really don't have a whole lot of interest in, in being a show dog. Yeah. You know, like that doesn't fulfill me really on any you know, deep level. I, growing up, I got lots of accolades for my singing voice and for my musical ability. Right. You know, in my church growing up, you know, it was all kinds of accolades for, you know, I would get up there and, and 
ostensibly my purpose in being on stage on a Sunday morning in church was to lead worship, which is, you know, really it should be to facilitate other people's religious experiences and allow them to enter into whatever state of, you know, a spiritual experience that they, that they would have. But really what it, what it ended up being was me performing for folks and, right. and people giving me, you know, the kinds of accolade. Like I was just entertaining on Sunday mornings. I right. wasn't, I wasn't doing anything deeper than that really. Right. You know, but as I've gotten older and, and, and I've figured out what music means to me, you know, in my life and what I want it to be, it's it, the, the, the actual, parts of, of making music that are fulfilling to me that actually do make me feel like I'm contributing something of value is using music as a way to express ideas that are important to me or to move conversation, you know, like, like to, to, to instigate, you know, I'm really not interested at all in, in getting, you know, soft golf claps from somebody who's holding a Chardonnay glass at a, in someone's pretty backyard. Like yeah. that it makes me want to vomit in my mouth. And yeah. so like, I don't want the label anymore of singer entertainer, even though for a long, long time, I thought that's what I was. Right. I'm not that. I'm not that. It's the something, same kind of thing as me with my yeah. playing piano. Yeah. You know, something that like can be trotted out to impress other humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that it's it's similar to the good girl. The good girl versus being a full human with lots of facets is similar to the the comparison being a singer entertainer versus artist. Yeah. You know, because for me it, the latter in each of those examples is uh a reflection of me embracing and exploring my own full humanity. Yeah. As opposed to making myself smaller or making myself fit. Um, holes that other people need me to fill in their lives. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. Thanks. What's your next one? So my next one is really just a group. And, uh-huh. I'll ju- and, and all that these next ones are, these are all the post-partier ones, right? Okay. Once I learned that you could have identities that drew certain types of people to you uh-huh. and that you could manipulate that, <laughs> yeah. you know? Uh-huh. And there's two forms of manipulation, like like by certain ways of acting, you attract different people to you, sure. you know? That's one way. And then also by acting different ways, you feel different ways about yourself, Okay, you know? Uh-huh. And so over the next like, you know, 15 years, I sort of tried on various combinations of uh, punk, goth, rock star, uh, generally just extreme personality, like the person <laughs> who's always willing to go further than anybody else, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wrote Playboy, which is a silly thing because I don't mean like I was wearing like velvet robes and smoking a cigar or something. (laughs) But like ladies' man also doesn't really, it almost, it makes it sound too nice. You know what I mean? Like I was just trying to get a lot of people in bed all the time. Promiscuous. Promiscuous, yeah. Is that a judgy word? (sighs) No, I think it's- As I said it, I was like, is that right? It's a descriptive word. Okay. I think that's fair. Okay. I think that like if you were to say slut, I think that's a bad way to say it. (laughs) You know, that would also be accurate to my experience, you know? Yeah. Because I felt really unattractive. Like I matured late. I was a know-it-all. I was not cool things Mm -hmm. when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. especially during the formative times when you just want to be attractive to people who you want to find you attractive. In my case, it was girls my age. They did not find me attractive because Mm -hmm. when I was 12, I looked like I was eight. And they wanted someone who looked like they were 13. Maybe even like a little pencil mustache thing. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which I didn't even get till I was like 15. Pencil mustaches are never cute. I'm sorry, but yeah. (laughs) But they imply like a a, a beginning virility. Testosterone is what they imply. That's it. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. the thing. 
Um, you know, and so, you know, I tried to fill a female-shaped hole inside of me for many, 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 many years, yeah. just trying to like, uh, just getting people in bed as a way of trying to make myself feel better about myself. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. You know, uh, doesn't mean I didn't give it a good try. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. But you that. wore, but you wore each of those labels proudly. You're yes. like, I am the promiscuous guy. I am the goth. I am the yeah. the punk. I am the rock star. Yeah, I am the all extreme at once, guy. You know, uh-huh. and these were just things I was just kind of adding in. You mm-hmm. know, those were all coexisting at one time. It's not mm-hmm. like I was a punk then. I was a goth. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been both since. I still kind of am. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's just that now I'm not super extreme about things all the time, and I don't feel a need to like have a punky haircut or a goth haircut or to wear makeup. I still wear all black. It's my one nod to that it's your kind homage. of homage. Yeah, right, totally. Uh, You know, and that's just a function of getting more comfortable in your own skin. You know what I mean? I still, I still like ascribe to a lot of those values, culturally speaking. Mm -hmm. I think that punks and goths have a lot of things exactly right, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, the you know on the goth side, it's the willingness to wholeheartedly embrace idiosyncrasy. Mm-hmm. You know, in a way that you that is almost purposely alienating to normies. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not so interested in purposely alienating normies these days, right? Because I you you're know, married to one, <laughs> and, I, and I've grown as a person. Yeah. I understand that, I, like you know, how you look is only skin deep. You yeah, know? there's a lot of super amazing normies, a lot of super pretentious and shallow goths, and vice versa. Sure, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you can't judge it. Yeah. Uh, really, it's just a way to look. And honestly, black matches, and that's great for me because I don't think about it much. It also sets off your grays. Thank like you. salt and pepper hair. It's Thank you. Lovely. Appreciate that. When you wear your black glasses, <laughs> This girl your age thinks you're awfully cute. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> and that, that, that's good. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, but, you know, that those were all just ways for me to try to find comfort in an uncomfortable place. And I was uncomfortable from age... I mean, from when I was born, but, you know, from when I flipped that switch to, oh, I understand how to at least superficially attract people to me. That was at age 15. From then until I got sober at age 31, that 16-year period, Mm. I was uncomfortable the entire time. I just never felt comfortable in my own skin. I never felt comfortable mm-hmm. with who I was. Like, I was never a good goth because I have curly hair, not straight hair. And I couldn't <sighs> get to stand ups. Like, I couldn't be a good punk either because there's no, like, curly hair. Like, I had ringlets. <laughs> I had gorgeous ringlets. You know what I mean? <laughs> which is neither punk nor goth. It's more goth than punk, which is why I kind of homed in on that. You know? <laughs> All I wanted to have was straight hair so I could, like, do a mohawk or something. You can't yeah. do a mohawk with curly hair. Oh. Like, it just. That's not how that works, you know? I did get ripped off. And it was brown. It was like chestnut brown, which also is not very goth. supposed to be black, you know? (laughs) That's why they make hair dye. I know, but I also didn't want to do that because I saw what it looked like when people dyed their hair and it's corny as shit, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, I don't know. I just, unless you do it like red or pink or something, like that's badass, you know? But like turning brown hair black, like... It can be kind of cool for the first day, and as soon as you have a little hint of a root, it's like, oh, that's not good. I don't know. I think Ali Sheedy looked pretty great in Breakfast Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can rock it. I, like, for whatever reason, I've never felt like I could. I understand. You know? I get it, I get it, I get also, it. Also, because, like, freckles. Right, you know what I mean? it gives you away. It really does. <laughs> I, I have a lot of freckles. Also not super fucking goth. Oh, man. <laughs> the universe conspiring against you. Yeah, oh. very much so. yeah. 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 So, you know, those were just all really elements of the same thing, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. San Franciscan. Yeah. That was a huge part of my identity, like I thought. Well, and it kind of like in the era that you lived there, San Franciscan meant weirdo. Yeah, it embraced that. Yeah. yeah. And now it just means like tech bro, which yeah. is so <laughs> sad. It used to be the place to go to get weird, and now it's just like the place to go to get lattes. Yeah. 
Right, <laughs> you right. Know? Mm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> you yeah. know, but I, at the time I really embraced it. Like it was so important. It's why I moved there. Right. You know, because I wanted more weird in my life. Yeah. I just started reading William T. Volman. Like I understood that there was a certain flavor of counterculture weirdness yeah. that you could maybe only get in 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 1995 in San Francisco. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's kind of gone. Like yeah. San Francisco in 1996, 1997 is still a spiritual home for me. Mm. Just in a time traveling, you know, mm-hmm. alternate universe kind of way where I can, a multiverse where I can be there and hear simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Like part of me is still there for sure, you know? Yeah. I was, I was forged, I was forged in that crucible. Yeah. I mean, I was born and raised in California. And so in terms of like a label, a label based on sort of physical location, um, I don't know that I really ever evaluated the fact that I, that I, bore the label Californian until we moved yeah. from California because I had never lived anywhere else. And yeah. so like, oh, that's weird. I, I guess I have identified and I took pride in being from California. It's a cool place. Mm-hmm. There's beaches and we have Hollywood and, and uh, lots of diversity. Yeah. And like, I, there were lots of reasons why I was very proud to be Me too. a Californian. Yeah. Um, once we moved from there and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm no longer a Californian. That was a weird moment of dissonance, I guess. But I don't feel like a Washingtonian, Washingtonian yet either. Yeah. Um, but I guess in that in that respect, I'm, I'm evaluating the idea of a label based on geography as being maybe a little bit, a little bit meaningless, yeah. you know, that... Um, you know, I'm a human living in Washington and I was a human living in California for the first 40 plus years, yeah. you know? And, and, and on a broader scale, I, I've only started to think about my identity as an American <laughs> in those kinds of ways right. too. You know, I, I, it's one of those things like my, like when I was a kid taking for granted, this is the default that I'm a evangelical Christian, yeah. that that was the default position. You know, I, I think I've lived most of my life with the the idea that 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 American is just a label and that like that somehow that makes me special. I think I've accepted the idea that that makes me special being mm-hmm. an American. Mm-hmm. And and for cer- better or for worse it does. Certainly. I mean certainly there are a lot of privileges that come with being raised in this country, you know, but I think that we I've accepted the 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 message that's sort of like hammered into us, you know, in this country that, that we are exceptional because we are Americans. And, you know, especially as I've dug into, um, American history, uh, uh, and also evaluating current events Mm -hmm. through the lens of anti-racism. Yeah. I, those myths are falling apart left and right. Sure. And that label is falling apart left and right. And I think I, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this because I feel like this is one of the labels that I'm in process of evaluating. Yeah. Um, but I think that where it's headed is that I am a human that lives in America and really I'm a resident of planet Earth and I am a little bit more interested in exploring what that means mm-hmm. versus... Um, we have no plans to move people. It's not that. Oh, yeah, It's yeah, just yeah. a thought exercise. Oh, yeah. It's just a, it's just a you know, uh, who am I in the world yeah. kind of question. You know, um, I, I think that, that maybe a better, healthier place for me to be is not uh, I'm an American first, but I am a world citizen first. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm interested in exploring that more at this phase in my life. Yeah. You know, uh, something I didn't put on the list 
that I think that I'm interested in also in exploring is, you know, as I've come to an understanding about the idea that gender is not a binary concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm curious about doing some, some self-evaluation about what the label woman means to me. Right. You know, like what is... What does that actually mean? I, I'm, you know, I, I, again, I don't have an answer for you on this podcast yeah. today, but it's something that I'm interested in exploring. I have a similar discomfort with thinking of myself as a man, and it's not in any gender way. Yeah, it's not in a gender fluidity kind of way at all. Right. Uh, it's just that neither with mine. Yeah, I should say. right. Yeah, it's just that as a label, like I don't know, man. I've just never thought of myself as a man. I think of myself as male. Right. You know, for, Interesting. I may be right or wrong about that, but like, you know, I identify as male. Like, and I see other examples of things that people call male and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's like me. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there's confirmation yeah. there. Um, but, you know, a man, what is a man? I don't know if I'm comfortable with the idea of being a man. Interesting. I see examples held up like, oh, that's a man. And I'm like, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting that, you know, the labels that... <laughs> How, how we define the labels that we wear versus how society defines the labels that we bear sometimes are in conflict with each other too. You know, like yeah. your, your idea of what it is to be a man maybe doesn't look so much like what is trotted out as being manly in our <laughs> society. You know, maybe there's some dissonance there. Sure. Um, I'm not strapping. I don't wear flannel. <laughs> You mean strapping good looks? Uh, strapping refers to uh, physical, uh, like strength. Oh, well, you're very strong. For my size. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, like I'm slender, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm not like getting you're, a boxing ring strong. You're not Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. Yeah. Like there are people who are built much bigger than me. Sure. I'm not built big. I'm built, I'm built slender. I get it. I'm strong for my size, yeah. but my size is small. I get it. I get it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, like, the, the, it's interesting that this conversation about labels has got me thinking about what other labels I want to sort of explore. And, and it's, it's a really interesting question. Yeah. Do you have any more to add? You know, to, for me to bring it full circle, yeah. uh, especially like in terms of like the journey that that seed that was planted when I was identified at a very young age as being a musician and then the journey mm-hmm. that I've gone with through that. And you touched upon this idea of, you know, you not being a singer or entertainer because your point isn't to entertain someone. You're, the desire in your life is not to entertain. Mm-hmm. It's to explore and to elucidate, you know? Uh, and these days, you know, people ask me what I am, same as same as you, I think. I just say I'm an artist. Yeah. And I think that's inaccurate. I say I, I say that with the understanding that it's, that it's inaccurate as really? I say it. Yeah. You know, because, or it could In be perceived way. as inaccurate, maybe. I don't know. Like, I'm a collaborator more than I am anything. I'm a co-conspirator. Mm-hmm. But there's more to it than that. Like, I approach a lot of just general, I, th- I approach things in my life in an artistic way. Mm-hmm. And the point of what I'm, doing with my life is I'm trying to add value. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that that's fundamentally an artistic type of pursuit. So I'm in that way comfortable with referring to myself as an artist. Are you, is it because in the way in which you express your work, you're, it's very infrequent these days that you are creating something from scratch by yourself. Right. Got it. Yeah. Like it's easy to be like Shannon's an artist because you write songs. Yeah, I understand what you mean by that. But I but I think that your your um 
your description there of of the way in which you approach the work that you do is artistic. And well, that's it, and that's and why I, I say that because that's the point for me. Well, and I think that at the end of the day, the labels that we decide are our labels are really only up to us. Yeah, right. So you're a freaking artist, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and I think to bring this back to some of the themes that was running through some of our other conversation, if the labels that we wear are vehicles for uh, sort of like making a a, a, ha- a, a a pinpoint or a mark on like, here's something, here's a reason why you are valuable or here's mm-hmm. a reason why you belong. Mm. You know, that the, the labels that we choose and wholeheartedly want to adopt for ourselves are the labels that are, those are the things that, those are the things that arise because we've gotten to a place in ourselves that we understand that we intrinsically have value right. and that we do belong, not based on what other people have assigned to us or what other people perceive. Yeah. Right? So in that sense, you know, you calling yourself an artist, I think, is an expression mm-hmm. of work you've done in your life to get to a place where you can say, I am a person of value. Yeah, right. This is who I am. And maybe, you know, to continue that thought process to its logical conclusion, maybe at some point in the future, if I do enough work, I'll get to the place where I can just say I'm a human. Right. And that's the only label that matters. That is has been on my mind too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Right on. Neat. Scott, thanks. <sighs> that was fun. Yeah. Um, if you are in our Misfit Stars community... Uh, and you've listened to this and you're like, I have stuff I want to share. Yeah. Um, on this topic, we would love to hear that. That is the reason for the community. One of the reasons for the community is to take these these jumping off points and talk about them and explore them as explore them as a group in a group that is that is safe to explore these ideas in. Yeah. Right. And so um, we are, you know, still the hub of our sort of misfit stars community is still on Facebook in this the For private group. Now. For now we are dot dot dot. <laughs> we've got some really awesome plans coming up for you. I know we've been vague booking about this now for a couple weeks, but we're still working on it. This is so a literary device known as foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> Embrace it. But since it's still the Facebook group, um, that is where we would love for you to contribute your thoughts. Uh, we will, we'll, uh, I'll be posting um, a, a, a graphic about this week's episode in the group, and that would be a great place for you to just start commenting yeah. after you've listened um, with your own thoughts on the topic. It would be fascinating to hear your perspective. So yes, please do that. And if you are not part of the Misfit Stars community yet, mm-hmm. and you are thinking, I would like to be part of this group that talks about this, you know, deep stuff with one another. It's true, you would. You, yeah, it's true. You can become part of that group. You just go to misfitstars.com slash join and you join up. We'll add you to the group and we would love to have you. It's uh, like you It's like you all of a sudden have 200 new amazing friends who are considerate and kind and thoughtful. Not all 200 people post in the group all the time. It's, it's a core group of like 50 who mostly post, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. But, oh man, it's like having a little 50-person crew who you can just trust. Like, you can say anything to them and they're going to be supportive and kind and thoughtful and funny and encouraging, lift you up. And the conversations in there are amazing. Yeah. We want you in there. We do. And you'll be uh, helping support the work that we do in the world uh, by joining up. So do it. MisfitStars.com slash join. It's a win-win. Um, okay, that's it for this week. We'll be back again next week mm-hmm. with more to talk about. 
Well. That's a Mr. Rogers reference. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> nice. I feel like Mr. Rogers every week, actually, when we sign off on this podcast. Oh, I love it. I imagine myself tossing one shoe from one hand into the other <laughs> and buttoning up my cardigan. Um, we'll be back next week. So in the meantime, between now and then, take good care of yourselves. Yeah, we love you guys. We love you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. 